I don't even listen to his podcast, huh? Dude, it's educational. And besides, I've been wanting to listen to this one. Welcome to Idling in the Impala, a podcast by and for lovers of Supernatural and the fan fiction it inspires. I'm Carly. I'm Sandra, and we did a dad episode, Battle of the Dads, and one of our favorite listeners wrote us a really long email (laughs) with thoughts. Um, And when we got it in our mailbox, I, I started reading it and I was like, no, I've got to wait. Told Carly about it. They were like, okay, I'll take a look. Carly came back and said, I have thoughts. And I was like, okay, well, let me see if it's okay with Miss um, Audubon is our listener. Uh, if I could read her email and then we could discuss or kind of either like embellish, talk a little bit more about uh, where do we agree? Where do we disagree? I just really love that we can have these conversations from many different perspectives, thousands of miles away, and talk about something that we all enjoy, but sometimes from very different angles. So if anyone hadn't already listened to the episode, it was Battle of the Dads. It was basically John versus Bobby um, and all of the many reasons why John sucked. Um, And so... (laughs) Again, like I think we did try to delve a little bit more into, you know, maybe why the why behind what John did. Um, but I feel like our um our listener, uh, Miss Audubon, really kind of explored a lot of things too that we thought we'd like to share. Um, so I'm really gonna just kind of like pick apart, read through um her email, and I think Carly, you're gonna you're going to like interject, hit the pause button or whatever, and mm-hmm. we'll kind of like go from there. So I'm not sure how long this is going to take. It, it's it's quite a long email. And then she Then there's again. a follow-up email. <laughs> <laughs> Which we love. I love, I love that. I love the enthusiasm. Um, yes. I've talked to uh, Miss Audubon off and on for the past few months, and they've always have appreciated our episodes, our insights. And I think we're... We're just, you know, fellow fans that love something and we can extend that to somebody else who's maybe missing Supernatural a bit too, as much as we are and Mm. has something to discuss. So yeah, I guess, um, Carly, unless you have anything to add before, I'll just like, I'll start reading and you just let me know. Uh, No, I don't. I don't have anything to add. Um, All I would say is don't ever feel bad. Miss Audubon, specifically to you, you're, you're never going to bore us with your thoughts, babe. Email us. Email <laughs> us all the time. We love it. It's really, like, it's fun. Sandra messaged me. She's like, we got an email. And I'm like, yay! <laughs> or we read them. Like, so specifically to you, but to anybody else, if you got thoughts about something, we tell you every episode anyway, tell us your thoughts. Email us. It doesn't matter if it's, like, two words or, you know, war and peace. We love <laughs> it either way. Reach out to us. We're all here in the same fandom. Everyone's got a different view. Everyone's coming from their background. Mm-hmm. So it's good to hear those other other sides. So yeah. don't feel bad about reaching out to us. But apart from that, no. I think you've maybe got a couple of paragraphs before. I'm like, wait. Okay. So well, I think you're okay. Yeah. So as I as I go about it, yeah, I think we've said like there's probably gonna be edits in this or whatever, but we'll we'll just read and see. Read and see how it goes. Um yeah. okay. 
So we've got uh, Dear Sandra and Carly, I have been wanting to write to you for a couple days now since I listened to your dad episode, but then I thought better. Don't, but th- wait, but then I thought I better don't bore you with my thoughts. Don't However, do that. Just send us, send us the thoughts. Yes. We love it. However, now after listening to your Winchester's episode, I just really felt compelled to write, especially as Sandra is addressing a few points that I was going to make. As I may have mentioned before, I am a social worker and I have majored in youth and family services. Since I finished college, I have always been working. And I did, in addition, a one-year internship in the U.S. during college, working in child and family therapy with some really troubled families. First off, I totally agree with both that John is an awful parent. He was neglecting and abusing his kids and really messed them up, especially Dean. I also believe that he damaged Dean and also Sam in their mental, social, and Dean's physical development. Okay, wait there, wait there. I have definitely read this in a fic, and I had never thought of it until after I read it, but it ties in so perfectly to why the younger brother is four inches taller than the older, because Dean made sure Sam got the food. Mm -hmm. So Sam grew up properly, and Dean... Maybe he would have been taller. Maybe he would have been bigger. Maybe he would have been bulkier. Mm-hmm. But he didn't get proper nutrition. I mean, you could argue maybe Dean wouldn't have gotten nutrition. bow legs. <laughs> 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 yeah, I imagine, imagine. What is it that causes rickets? It's a, no, I, I no, rickets know. is a lack of vitamin D. I was thinking of scurvy. I was like, okay. yeah, they probably didn't get much fruit and veg. So maybe I don't know. I don't maybe. know. Maybe. Maybe. I, I don't like. We're going to put be, that in our head. I'm going to put that in my head as maybe a possibility, but. Jensen's, okay. Jensen's bow legs are 100% not caused by fucking rickets. <laughs> the kid grew up in Texas. His body was probably like, will you stop giving us vitamin D? We have nothing to do with it now. Stop it. But yeah, you know, maybe. In the context of canon, maybe <laughs> if Dean had eaten a vegetable every once in a while. But yeah. <laughs> No, that's it. I just wanted to, uh, I just wanted to point that out. That I that was very inappropriate read. of me, and I'm so sorry, but I just couldn't help it. <laughs> when you said physical development, I was like, bow legs. Um, Dean has the sexiest pair of bow legs I've ever seen in my life. Because I was walking, Ted and I were at a um, totally off tangent. <laughs> we were outside. We were at a car show, and this this guy's walking in front of us, bow legs. And I was like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever he did with those, whatever happened genetically with those bow legs, those are just amazing, amazing bow legs. They just are. It's it's because he's got, he's because he's got a little bit of a swagger. Like he just swings his hips a little bit. Yeah, but this guy was swaggering too, but it just wasn't working the same way. Yeah, but like, there's no, there's a difference. There's a difference. Mm-hmm. There's a difference, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, it's a whole package. Difference. It's a whole package. Anyway, I I love his bow leg. So if if vitamin we if all... lack of vitamin D is <laughs> the cause, I'm here for it. <laughs> okay, back on track to the serious stuff. We're moving back now. Okay, um, back then in the 80s and 90s, when all this took place in the story, and it was more normal to not helicopter kids like people think they should do in our days, to leave kids alone for some time. To give kids more freedom. Okay, wait. Okay. Stop. Because I, I I had a comment there and I was like, I'll wait until we get to the end of the sentence. Mm-hmm. So I definitely agree that we're looking back on this with 2022 eyes. Mm-hmm. 100%. You know, 
we were looking back on it on 20, uh, 2005 eyes as well. I right. am a child of the 90s. And before, I would have been about nine maybe, mm-hmm. when my mum would go out for a couple of hours in the afternoon mm-hmm. and leave me home alone. Mm-hmm. This was <clears throat> perfectly normal. Nobody right. bat an eyelid about it. When I went into high school, which in the UK is um, you're usually 11 when you grow up. I think mm-hmm. I was 10. No. No, I must. No, I would have been 11. So, yeah, you're around 11 when you grow up to high school and your first year in high school. And I was given a house key and my school was a bus ride away. So it wasn't walkable. And I was literally I'd started getting buses on my own when I would have been about 10, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and was just given a key and just told, just go home. Yeah. You know, yeah. and this was, of course, this is, you know, the very late 90s, very early 2000s. No mobile phones. Mm-hmm. So no way to keep track of me, which was massively to my mother's detriment because I used to just fuck off, mm-hmm. <laughs> not tell people where I was going. Mm-hmm. And I kept that, I kept that up even after I had a phone. So yeah, I think that's just teenagers. But yeah, again, I was completely normal. Nobody batted an eyelid about that. Yeah. Um, it, it was completely normal to leave your kids alone for a couple of hours. And it's funny, my eldest is, he'll be 11 in a couple of months. And in the last year, I've left him in the house on his own for like a couple of hours. Yeah. A couple of hours is different from days and weeks. Yeah. That's a big difference. Yeah. But the thing is, he's in my house with Wi Fi Mm -hmm. and a fully charged phone Mm -hmm. and a landline. If he needs me, he has ample ways to get in touch with me. And I'm like, oh, he's too young to be left on his own. He's only a baby. So I I definitely agree. We, I try not to be helicopter mom, but I probably am. We definitely, you know, pamper them. Well, a I little think, bit more. I think from that perspective. So growing up in the eighties, so I had a mom that was very, very a very worry wart, very, very careful. Didn't really let me, you know, do a lot of stuff. But just because there was no way she could get around it, like she was a single mom, and um, she started like she used to work in the house, and basically it was like she would babysit, and then that stopped at around age I was maybe ten or eleven. And then it became, well, she's got to go outside of the house and find work. So when she found work um, at a restaurant, you know, it was like, well, now you have to, you know, you have to walk home by yourself and here's the key. And when you get in, call me again, like, you know, landlines, um, 85, this would have been so, um, very much like by necessity having to do this. But yeah, I remember summers where, again, I wasn't allowed to do this, but I remember hanging out with friends or like in the summertime, like kids were out all day. Like, and I would go and Mm -hmm. like, maybe like meet friends like out and like, there was like a big old back, um, back parking lot with like a tree and like stuff that, you know, we would all hang out, like do like a little clubhouse thing, but kids were out doing their thing all day, you know? And it was just like, that was just the way it was. It was like, you know, drink from the, drink from the spigot, you know, drink from, drink the water out of the, out of the hose and, you know, not worry about like this or that, or, you know, be on Mm -hmm. your bikes all day and parents not wanting their kids to come back until it was like sunset, (laughs) you know, where I think we're in a different, we're in a different, 
um, culture now with that. And, and again, not necessarily that any of it's bad. It's just, it's just very different. It's just a very different mindset. I find it interesting that the kids that grew up that way tend to be the ones that helicopter now, mm-hmm. or I think there's even a term called lawn mowing or something like lawnmower parents or something. I can't remember, but there's a couple different terms. Yeah, there is. Um, so it's interesting that, you know, did some people just really not think that was, you know, the best way for them to grow up? And they're like, no, I'm going to do this completely different. You know, this was like, I, I was being ignored or neglected or, you know, I didn't, where I just think it's, it's a time we never will get back because of all the the difference too. Like you said, now you're so connected to your child. Um, there might be a little bit more of an ease or a you're still going to worry, but you know, there's that, well, I can immediately get in touch with them if I need to, where with my mom, it was like, she would, I'd have to call her work, you know, and I'd have to like ask to speak to my mom and I'd say, mom, I'm home. And, you know, she's like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, you got homework to do. Yep. 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 And, you know, do all that stuff. So she was still a helicopter parent, but in a different decade, you know what I mean? Like, so it's kind yeah. of like, you kind of can place them in different times and it's still that type of parenting is still there. It's just the way it was done based off of the parameters that you had uh, to work with kind of thing, you know? I think I think a big, a big part of it now is, because like, you know, I was, I, I had a bit of a unique situation in that where I went to school, even before I went to high school was not where I lived. Mm-hmm. I went to school near my grandparents. So, and my grandparents were like, no, you may not have friends over. No, you may not go play out with your friends mm-hmm. when I was in um like primary school it was like middle school for you guys um so when I was when I was where my school friends were I wasn't allowed to play with them and then when I was home I didn't have friends there because I didn't go to school with anybody there mm-hmm. so I didn't I didn't have the, ex- the the joy the experience of like fucking off on my bike all day but certainly I could say to my mom Mm-hmm. I'm going out. I'm going to go play. Mm-hmm. And there would be no questions asked about where I was going or who I was going to be with mm-hmm. or what time I was going to be back. Anything right. like that. Yeah. It was just, um, I remember not being allowed to play in the front garden until I was like maybe 10. Okay. Um, I don't, I don't know why. It wasn't like we lived on a busy street or mm-hmm. a bus route or anything. Mm-hmm. But that, that was one of the rules that like you couldn't, couldn't play in the front garden. Or yeah. like play on the on the street, but um, but I think a lot of a lot of it comes down to kids have more stuff now. Mm-hmm. You know, every kid is walking around with a phone in their back pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kids are walking around with like designer trainers or designer clothes and things like that. Things that maybe weren't as prevalent when we were children. Mm-hmm. So, from a parenting perspective, now. I'm kind of like I try I try I try to be like not hands off but I try to sit on my hands a little bit and be like you can go play you just let me know where you're gonna be yeah and he takes his phone and I like as long as I know roughly where he's gonna be yeah it's okay but there's that fear I'm like he's got a phone in his pocket you know someone could beat him Mm -hmm. up for that phone and as they get older and they've got like smart watches or they've got that pair of Nike trainers or whatever it is I think that's what prompts more of the fear in that generation as parents now. Yeah. Because they're walking around, they can be walking around with hundreds and hundreds of pounds worth of stuff on them. Mm-hmm. 
and all it takes is one person to decide that they want what your kid has. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I I definitely think that plays into it. Because kids don't, kids don't know. They don't think about it. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, I, I bought my kid, I, I had to buy him a phone. He started walking home from school, and it's about a mile. Um, And I was like, well, he has to have a phone. He has to have a way to get in touch with me. But I didn't go out and buy him, like, a top-of-the-line you know, iPhone or something like that. I, but it's still a smartphone, but it's like low end. Mm-hmm. Because I was like, there's every chance he's going to break this or yeah. lose it or anything like that. And I'm not laying down thousands on a phone that I might have to replace mm-hmm. in a couple of months. And fair play to my child. He has looked after that phone. He's lost it one time. And he called me up in tears. And he was like, my sister, mommy said my phone's falling out of my pocket. Mm-hmm. And we found it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I just I think that probably does play play into it. Yeah, just that they 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 have so much more worth on their person, so much more wealth mm-hmm. just on their person that you think, oh no, somebody's gonna somebody's yeah. gonna beat him up and take it. Yeah, and that just wasn't that just wasn't a thing in the eighties and nineties, was it? Mm-mm. You know, no. and the one thing that you we keep uh, the word that we keep saying over and over again that I'm noticing in in our talks about like you know how kids were let were let out to play that's not something that Sam and Dean ever had in all of this you know yeah. time period there was never a oh you know well you're doing you know we're we're going to just leave you leave you leave you be or do whatever you know just go play so i think that's a that's just something to keep in mind too um mm-hmm. I think in that in that standpoint. Yeah. No. Oh no, I'm sad now. Because <laughs> that's that's right, isn't it? They never yeah. stayed anywhere long enough to make friends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And every minute that they had, John was finding something for them to do. Mm-hmm. They never just got to just be kids. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I so now that I've saddened sad. you. <laughs> <laughs> I made myself sad. Uh, okay, so let's see where we're at. Okay, um, from a pedagogical standpoint, giving kids more freedom and independence actually does have some good to it. And I work very hard in my city to provide circumstances that allow that. For example, it was normal to not get a babysitter for everything um, from when I was six and my brother three, sometimes when my dad had to do conferences at night and my mom had meetings with her club, they would put us to bed and leave. It was normal. Many parents did that. Okay, wait. Not that young that I know of, um, at least here. Again, maybe it's a cultural thing. Yeah, um, I think that's a cultural thing because that was not that was not done mm-hmm. where I was. Mm-hmm. If my mom had to go out on an evening, I would be taken to a babysitter. Yeah. The babysitter would turn up. Certainly not at six and three. I feel like what would have been okay, not that my mom would have ever done it, but I feel like maybe like when I was 13, then it would have been mm. like an okay time to like, you know, I could be left. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Or the, for like, say a late night where they might not come back. Like that would be a, an age I feel that would be yeah, considered, you know, fine or whatever even back then uh, my time I feel like that would have worked but like I said I think like you said though I think that's just a cultural difference Mm -hmm. yeah um you know obviously Miss Audubon is not in the UK 
they are not in the USA either. Yeah. So I'm sure the astute among you will have guessed from the name where they are from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't I can't speak to certainly that culture because it's not something I've experienced. But no, I just want to point out like that's that's one country's experience that's not a universal experience, certainly not that young. Yeah, yeah. She goes on, uh, we even have a word um in Germany for the kids that used to spend all their afternoons after school alone at home while the parents had to work. Our school usually was over by one o'clock. And there was no childcare. So single parents or parents that both worked had to give a key to the kids and they reheated themselves something for lunch and stayed home alone. We called those kids social kinder. I'm just guessing. Um, mm-hmm. My husband was one of them. And for him, it was okay and normal. And Carly, I translated you made that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I translated that. And it means exactly what we called it in the UK, which is latchkey kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Latchkey children. Yeah. So put the door on the latch and your kid opens it and comes home. And um, in the UK, school's cut out around three. So you mm-hmm. wouldn't be doing lunch. Um, but by the time I would get home from school, it would only be like an hour, maybe an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And then my mum would be home. And certainly, because this happened when I was in high school, it was not. It was not uncommon. I would say more days than not, I would get home to a note on the counter that just said, hey, will you prep this mm-hmm. for dinner? Will mm-hmm. you do this? Uh, I've, you know, something's in the slow cooker. Will you turn it off at such and such time? Or will you turn this on? You know, mm-hmm. she would prep whatever she needed to prep before she went to work and ask me to do the last minute bits mm-hmm. before she got home. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's yeah. cute that it's the same word, though. Mm-hmm. Like, kids. Yeah. What? what what would you have called it? Oh, same thing. I, I latchkey latch kids as well. Yeah, latchkey. That's. I mean, that's what I remember. Um, if there's something else, uh, I can't think of it right now. But I just always remember hearing latchkey. And it's much. not something I don't know about you, but it's not something you identified with as a child because latchkey kids have been popular, but not popular. But they've been around forever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like my my mom was born in '62. Mm-hmm. And she was a latchkey kid. Both her parents worked and she would get home with her little sister and they would have jobs to do and they would have food to prep and things like that. And, you know, it was it was a known, a known phrase when I was growing up, but I was never like, yes, I'm a latchkey kid mm-hmm. until I grew up. And then I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, no, I was. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so then she's got butt in uh, all caps. Even for this era, what John did was totally neglecting and really, really messed up. So I agree with you there. Uh, Jensen and Jeff didn't, and Jeffrey Dean Morgan, I'm assuming, did an interview on the Supernatural Then and Now podcast. And they talked about how they both were surprised that the fans hated John so much because they played it from the view that John did things wrong, but truly loved the boys and wanted to protect them. <laughs> I love the way you paused. Like there's there's a note there. Okay. So this I I don't listen to the Then and Now podcast. Mm-hmm. Um I think because when it came out, I was kind of moody about anything to do with supernatural. Mm-hmm. I might have still Aside been from think. what we were doing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just I saw it and I was like, mm, no. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I, mm-hmm. I don't think I was in a great place. Mm-hmm. But the fact that Jensen and Jeff were surprised Pikachu face like, oh, the fans hate John. <laughs> Fucking really? Really? 
Really? Uh, really? Okay, so um, later on in this email, which we'll, we'll get to, our reader addresses um, some things around Sam and what John knew about what had happened to Sam. Um, and they think, they speculate that John obviously knew what the demon had done to Sam, knew that the demons would be looking for Sam. Um, and so that is why he took a lot of the actions that he took. So two... The, the fact that Jensen and Jeff were surprised, I'm like, so if we take that as canon that John mm. knew, and mm. what I, I think I think by the time Sam was 19, I think we can assume that, yes, he did know oh, yeah. what was happening. And he still was like, if you leave, don't come back to your 19-year-old mm. kid. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it was nothing but a temper tantrum on John's part there because Sam wasn't doing anything wrong. He was just not, following the path that John had expected for him. Mm. And so John had a temper tantrum. And I'm like, I don't feel like you get to portray a character like that and then be shocked Pikachu face when the fans turn around and go, well, they can die in a fire. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just, I that that's that's funny to me. That's funny to me that, that John and Jen, uh, Jeff and Jensen were like, Oh no, we don't know why. Why why do the fans hate John? He yeah. loved his children. He may well have loved his children. That does not change a goddamn thing. <laughs> if you love I don't think for a second that John didn't love his children. He just well, we'll we'll get into it. Mm-hmm. We yeah. will get into it. <clears throat> but the actions that he took are not the actions of a man who loves his children. Mm-hmm. that's yeah. you know yeah and he probably did in his own way and blah 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 blah, blah and he wanted the best for them and da-da-da-da. i think it's just getting lost along the way right like in terms of his love for his kids i think was always overshadowed by having to find out what happened to mary and the revenge aspect of it. And again, I find it very interesting that he butted head so much with Sam, where I think Sam is very much, maybe very similar to him in drive and goal. Like when it came to, I mean, they did an, and I don't know how much more of a blatant parallel you can get to have both, both women up on the, up on the ceiling and burning. And then they're, you know, they're both trying to find out what happened. And it just, that revenge part of it, I think just, always maybe got him lost the love was there but it got buried or covered up by this other need that i think clouded his better judgment many many times over and over again as what a parent should do that's my thought anyway from it and i think it's very similar to to yours carly and especially the like no matter when he knew you know yeah, you would, you would want to protect that kid. You would want to tell them, you know, if, if that, if that was the moment where he had to be honest with Sam, that was the moment he could have been honest with Sam. I need you to stay. This is why Mm -hmm. not go out on your own and just, we're just going to hope for the best. That does not. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't reconcile that anger for that over superseding just leave letting him go especially and then letting him go 
without a lot of tools. Like he didn't really have a lot of experiences outside of the John, Sam, Dean, you know, and I'm mm-hmm. sure he wanted them, but not this way, you know, not without the knowledge. That's what we kept coming back to, I think, too, when we were talking about yeah. um, John versus Bobby. It was not not giving them the tools that they needed. Because then at that point, if you tell him and he still wants to go. <laughs> at least he's fully appraised yeah. of the situation. At least he's, you've given him everything. Yeah. You know, you like, you can be sad about your kid leaving college. You can. That's fine. It happens all over the world every day. Kids leave for college, for university, whatever, and parents are sad about it. You can be sad. But what most parents do is they equip their child with everything that we can think of for them to succeed. So it, let's take this particular example. But I'm going to Stanford. Okay. Um, kind of wish you'd have told me about this earlier, but fine. And you give him a weapon you know you make sure he knows how to deal with the most common things that he might encounter you know does he have a silver knife does he have the materials can he source the materials to make um salt rounds you know does he have or can he get what he needs to protect himself and then once you've done that you know in much the same way a normal parent would you know, buy furniture or whatever, like a teacher kid to cook or, you know, any manner of things. You just prepare them the best that you can for whatever they might face. And you'd be like, I'm at the end of the phone if you need me. And yeah. <clears throat> you don't just have a big ass temper tantrum and go, hey, if you leave, don't come back. Blah, 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 blah. And it wasn't disgusting. Yeah, don't. I don't know, like, again, like, it would make sense, like, maybe. Maybe if he had done it, but like, was Bobby still somebody that Sam could reach out to during that time? Like, they don't really talk about that. Like, no, he you wasn't. know, he didn't, he didn't no, talk he to wasn't. John and he didn't talk to Dean, or I think he might've kept up with Dean, but very, very rarely, um, if at all. So he had no other. Yeah, nobody for help. Yeah. So that's, to me, that's like, even if you're going to like. I would imagine some parents would be like, okay, well, I, I have some people that I know that can at least touch base with him and give me an update through another person. I don't think he had that at all, or I don't even know if he tried to do that with Sam. So yeah, there's just a lot of questions about, about that. For somebody who was so about protect Sam, protect Sam, protect Sam, and then, okay, just go. Yeah. Like, what and was that's... the final straw? Like, what was that? Like, was he just thinking, well, there's no other way I can stop him from going down this path that I've been trying to keep him from doing? Like, that doesn't make sense either. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's, and I mean, we're just, we're looking at the practical things emotionally. Mm-hmm. We saw Jared's fantastic acting season one. We saw what that final fight did to Sam Mm -hmm. because they like they hash it out again Mm -hmm. so how you know if you think of the emotional aspect uh, I I I didn't go to university which is the UK equivalent of an American college so I don't know like what the application process or anything like that is like but from what I from what I hear it's quite stressful 
um Stanford's quite a prestigious school as well mm-hmm. so how how difficult must that have been for Sam to keep all that secret and not mm-hmm. have anybody to even talk it through like hey can you look at this do you have to write like an essay or a letter or a, a something oh, I mean there's a ton maybe? of stuff and then you've got to like apply for grants scholarships like all these different things like you know yeah. he couldn't afford it so how did he you know that's those those student loan things are horrendous or you know even if you want to try to get a grant um it's, it's I think not... I think Sam got a full ride mm. I think I think he got a full it's ride pretty impressive for somebody who was not steady in school like that's another like okay yeah um you know so again yeah. it's it's, so it's a it's lot just... of what what was what was he doing on his own at such a young age too and what you know how much was he I don't know, given, given the feeling that he could do that, probably a lot of it by Dean, you know, whether or not Dean wanted him to go, um, like how much did Dean know about what he was doing, that kind of stuff. So, Mm. yeah. I've seen, I've seen, I've seen, I've read a lot of fanfics that cover that. Mm -hmm. And most of them detail Dean, you know, taking some, to the bus stop or whatever mm-hmm. giving him some money you know and kind of not not fighting sam and just mm-hmm. being like be safe you mm-hmm. know and a lot of them have conversations around come with me you know i can't stay you know mm-hmm. i can you know that kind of thing yeah and i i would like to think that that would be that would be how it how it went you know i think dean would have would have supported as much as he can, but I don't think Sam told anybody mm-hmm. what he was doing. And how fucking sad is that? Yeah. Yeah. I hate John Winchester so much. I okay. hate it. We'll okay. Go back. We'll go back to the letter. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> keeping this and my professional knowledge and some personal experience in mind, I do have some explanations on how I understand why John acted the way he did. It doesn't make it right but I think it may make a little sense. At least it does for me, and that way the storyline makes sense for me. Over the years, I have seen many parents that truly love their kids, but are terrible parents because of their own shortcomings. And in the supernatural storyline, there are a few things that would make John a saint or very special person if he was a great parent. I hope I can explain my thoughts in a way that makes sense to you. Please excuse if it sounds weird. While my everyday English is okay, I am not used to speaking about these professional things in English. It's still a foreign language for me. Doing a great job as is. So I believe John was traumatized from the war. There is no way a person goes to a war as bloody as the Vietnam War without being at least a little traumatized. From okay, what stop I there. yeah, stop, 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 stop. So I, it's probably worth inserting at this point. Um, I'm only looking at this from the perspective of Supernatural. I'm not taking into account John Winchester's character from the Winchesters. I don't know mm-hmm. if you're doing the same, Sandra, mm-hmm. but that's yeah. what I'm doing. Yeah. Basically, because we know that everything in the Winchesters is not canon anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's all, you know, it, it's all going to get muddled up somewhere along the line. So I am only looking at this from um, the point of view of the Supernatural story. So I totally agree. Mm-hmm. He was a Marine. He was in the Vietnam War. It was a horrible, bloody war. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. 
100% traumatized. I just, I wanted to draw attention to that because there are scenes in the first episodes of the, the Winchesters with John having flashbacks to the war. And mm-hmm. I'm just discounting that completely. But mm-hmm. I'm sure John's stories from Vietnam would be very similar mm-hmm. to a lot of Vietnam veterans. It was horrible. I mean, no was great, but, yeah. you know. So, yeah, I totally agree. Traumatized from the war. Yep. Uh, from what I saw in the story, my diagnosis would be PTSD and some mild depression, probably with beginning alcoholism before Mary died. They say in the series that John did not always come home at night to Mary and that they had fights. I interpret it that he had PTSD problems and went drinking to a bar, not being able to talk about it with her. Also 100% agree. Mm-hmm. And I, I know... I know I'm looking at this with 2022 eyes going, we need therapy Winchesters. But again, in the in the late 70s and the early 80s, it just wasn't accessible. Mm-hmm. Our, our reader goes on to say very much the same, that it just wasn't, mental health support wasn't accessible. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, the from my very, very basic understanding of the Vietnam War is that the the soldiers were told that they were going to come back to, you know, be be lauded as heroes. And then what actually happened was that everybody was just disgusted with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that would just wanted to forget, right? Like it's just, it's this common mentality that we have as a culture, society in general, something bad. Let's just, let's just pretend, let's just not talk about it. Let's just not talk about it. Like we don't want to talk about it. It's over. It's done. Let's move on. And then you've got the people that are dealing with, no, I went through this. This is a thing that I need to talk about. And there's no outlet for that. Um, Mm -hmm. That's very, it's just so upsetting that we don't learn, you know, or if we do, it takes us a really long time to understand that people need support in a variety of different ways when they go through something traumatic, especially Mm -hmm. when they make a sacrifice for the whole like for the for the good of the whole, they've made sacrifices. And we just want to say, well, it's over now. Great, thanks. We're not going to worry about how that's going to affect you for the rest of your life. You know, we're we're on the other mm-hmm. side of it, whether or not you are. That just bothers me. Um Yeah. Slightly like tangentially from that, there's a TV show, or there was a TV show in the UK called SAS Who Dares Wins. And it was um basically some former um I don't think any of them were in the actual SAS. <laughs> mm. uh, no, I think no, I think one of them were was um, a couple of them were in the the special boat service. Um, so, but that kind of the you know like um, I can't think of the word highly specialized mm-hmm. kind of soldier, um, like a Navy SEAL or something like that. Like what yeah. we have over here. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It was it was very specialized, mm-hmm. um, and there were there were four of them. And they've all written books. Mm-hmm. And one of them is a cunt. Um, just Google Aunt Middleton, guys. You Man's a wanker. He's about like five foot two and has every single issue that comes along with that as well. Um, but they all they all wrote books um, about their experiences, which seems to be par for the course. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've read... No, the, there's only one of them I haven't read. But of... The three I have read, two of them left the military because of mental health. Mm-hmm. And the military did not offer them support. They were just like, no, mm, well, sucks the suck, doesn't it? Off you go. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and both of them, you know, really had breakdowns in civilian life and had to access treatment and things like that. And we're talking about soldiers that were in the Iraq war in the early 2000s. So we're not talking that long ago. Yeah. And still the military is not providing these people with proper support. Mm-hmm. So if it's still that bad now in mm-hmm. the 21st century, God, how bad would it have been in the 70s when John yeah. came back from Vietnam, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I just I just wanted to draw attention to the fact that actually it's still like that. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And there's, um, there's, yeah. Yeah, there's certainly mental health services are much more accessible now than they've ever been. Mm-hmm. But there's still I don't I don't know what it's like in the USA, but over here, there seems to be there seems to be like like a scale of you're not mad enough to need help at the mm-hmm. bottom. You're mm-hmm. too mad, we can't help you. And then in the middle, you're the right amount of mad, we'll put you on a waiting list for 18 months. Yeah, you know, it's it's, it's pretty yeah, and there it's it's awful here. It's awful here. It's pretty much the same way for our vets and stuff. They're 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 always forgotten. And you know, there's I there was like a recent bill that needed to get passed that um comedian John Stewart, you know, made a big to do about it because again, it became very politicized and stuff. And um, you know, the vets were gonna be the ones that were gonna suffer if it didn't, you know, they weren't be, gonna be able to get all the that health care that they needed, whether it was you know, healthcare for the body or healthcare for the mind. It was just going to be another impediment, another block to get people the help that they needed. Um, mm-hmm. And it did get passed, but again, it was such a struggle and it's all about it. You, you lose sight of what's really important in the grand mm-hmm. scheme of things with that. So, yeah. Yeah. I was reading um, not in relation to um, military veterans but i was reading a autobiography of a police office police officer that was um worked at um the site of the twin towers after mm-hmm. after the attack um and i've i've read a lot of, i've read a lot of firefighter accounts who were obviously there for for the collapse and things like that but this particular one he wasn't even in new york at the time he was a police officer. He was in New Mexico. He heard about the towers falling and hauled ass mm-hmm. back to New York. And he worked around the site, but not specifically in the site. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he went to Fresh Kills Landfill, where they took all the debris from the site to be sorted through. Can they find any remains? Can they find any personal effects? Things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and his his story was basically, you know, what had happened at the thing and, you know, going to the landfill and how he had progressively got sicker and sicker and sicker because of his exposure to all of the, the toxins and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Garbage that mm-hmm. came when the towers fell and going back to court again and again and again to seek. I think it was like permanent permanent disability under a bill that was for people affected with health issues post 9-11 and it being refused again and again and again and he wasn't disabled enough and the 
even though there's categoric proof that all of his health conditions were linked to his exposure, they're saying, no, it's not, and da 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 And he um, passed away in 2014, mm-hmm. having never got those benefits that were promised. And towards the end of the book, he's obviously, he's stayed in touch with people. He, he moved away from New York and, and things like that, but like, stayed in touch and it was just one person after another person after another person passing away never having been able to access the help that they needed to get the care that they needed yeah that sounds like so i was just looking this up it's an article from the guardian about uh, the pact act the pact act the bill that passed um in the senate um provides assistance to veterans who were exposed to harmful chemicals during their service such as Agent Orange during the Vietnam War or toxins from pits used to burn military yeah, burn waste pits. in Iraq and Afghanistan. And it says currently veterans have had to prove that illnesses were connected to their service and the Department of Veterans Affairs did not consider exposure to toxins a service-related condition. The department has denied about 75% of veterans' burn pit claims. So this PACT Act um, basically gives them more opportunities to actually get the help that they need for those kinds of mm-hmm. of issues that are occurring with them. Biggest expansion of veteran affairs, healthcare in decades. We'll see how, how much it actually helps or, you know, when it actually, I don't even know like when all that stuff, like how long that stuff takes to even like, you know, go into effect and everything, but it's at least another step forward. But again, that's just another layer of making sure people get the help that they need. Um, and not constantly denying or saying, well, no, because of this or because of this, like, just stop, <laughs> just help mm-hmm. the people that have done so much for the country. Um, yeah, I, I just looked up the, um, if anybody listening did actually want to look or read that policeman's account, it's called delay, deny, hope they die by, mm-hmm. um, William Dement. Mm. And it was published Quite a few years ago, it was published before his death in 2012. And as I say, he passed away in 2014. So, mm-hmm. yeah, just if you want to just be mad at either your government or the USA government, mm-hmm. feel free. Yeah, plenty of but reasons. Yeah. So, uh... <laughs> like, massive tangent there, but like, all that to say, mm-hmm. John would not have been given the help that he needed when he came home. Yeah. And, all that um, to say. Miss Audubon goes on to has a personal story about a relative who suffered from severe PTSD after World War II. And um, then really kind of parlays that into back then, they didn't adequately treat people for these mental diseases. They told the soldiers and their wives to suck it up. Instead of therapy, they would tell them to get a drink and get over it. They also did not talk about the PTSD and men especially did not talk about being depressed. That was a woman's disease. Also, John probably had some kind of anxiety disorder after the war. Um, Now, the thing with trauma is, and she goes on to say, I had to do some special training on that because in my work, our CPS department deals with many kids with PTSD, that it actually changes your brain. Trauma will set free certain chemicals in your brain that give you a fight or flight or freeze response or a disassociative response. It will trigger some really strong feelings often related with terrible fear and anxiety. Um, Actually having a dad that used to love you and suddenly doesn't show up anymore without any explanation. This is a real trauma for a child as well. 
Now, when people experience, sorry, that's okay. Yep, completely, completely agree with all that. I don't, I don't have anything to argue (laughs) or um, contest Mm -hmm. with that. As as someone who deals with trauma on a daily basis, yep, that's very true. Mm -hmm. I wish my fight, flight, or freeze response was less geared towards fight, Mm -hmm. but that's that's the way my brain goes. Yeah, I think mine's Um, freeze. I think I freeze a lot. I don't know if I fight or flight. I think it's more freeze. Um, oh, no, I will. I'm dealing with it. Okay, occasionally I will freeze, but more often than not, I'm liable to try and take control of the situation. So if I'm mm-hmm. triggered by like something on the TV, mm-hmm. um, I'd be like, we need to turn this off. Mm-hmm. And that'll that'll be like my one, my one shot being reasonable. If I get any pushback from that, even if it's just, but why? I will mm-hmm. just fucking haul off on whoever... Mm-hmm. Okay. And I will really go because my brain is just like, no, we need to make it stop. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I wish it wasn't quite so fighty. Um, but, you know, all that. Yeah. Completely agree. Uh, now, when people experience trauma that they cannot get over and don't get adequate help to deal with the trauma, that's when people get PTSD. PTSD means that a certain area in the brain gets triggered again and again. And those chemicals that are in your brain during the trauma are there again, as if you were back in the traumatic situation. And it also truly feels like you were right there in the situation. The more this chemical situation in the brain is triggered, the more those chemicals are normally in your brain. And this then can cause other long-term conditions in which the chemicals in the brain are out of balance, like depression and anxiety disorder. This can just happen from something in everyday life like a noise or a smell that reminds the person of the traumatic event. However, if something really traumatic happens, like seeing your wife burning on the ceiling, that will completely bring up all the trauma and really hit the PTSD home. Also, the feeling of being constantly in danger, whether the threat is real or not, will put your brain in this PTSD state, constantly with the chemicals on high alert danger status. And I believe that the more he found out, the more John believed he and his boys were in danger. So from my point of view, John should never have been alone with the boys after Mary died. He needed help from the get-go. He was just totally re-traumatized, severely depressed, and the one person that had helped him get over the war and lead a kind of normal life was gone. The story also says that John went to Missouri when the boys were little. I understood it in a way that John found out that the demons were trying to mess with the nursery and that quite early, he must have had the suspicion that the demons wanted to get their hands on Sam because it all started in his nursery. Mary wasn't even supposed to be there. So my interpretation of the situation during Sam and Dean's childhood is the following. First, John wanted revenge and he also found out about hunting and wanted to save people. If it wasn't about saving people, he would only have worked on the cases related to Mary's death, but he did many cases. Emotionally, this probably was some kind of survivor's guilt, feeling guilty for not being able to rescue her or for him not being the one who heard the baby and was in the room instead of her. This might be on top of some survivor's guilt from the war that many of the soldiers who made it back had. Okay, stop. Okay. Okay, stop. I completely agree on the survivor's guilt thing, but I think it's um, it became an addiction. Hmm. That's my interpretation. And our lovely reader talks about 
um, addiction in terms of John's alcoholism a little bit further down the line. But I think maybe it started with cases surrounding Mary, but you get addicted. He gets addicted to that feeling of saving people. Right. And like, oh, you know, I'm there and I save the people. So I have to keep being there and mm-hmm. saving the people. And then it then it becomes an addiction because for me. Well, it's never going to be enough, right? It's just yeah. never going to be enough. Yeah. You know, if God, if he kills the right amount of monsters, it'll it'll bring Mary back or mm-hmm. it'll absolve him of not being the one that went into the nursery or not getting her out in time or whatever. But I can't it turning into an addiction that he needed to feed is the only reason I can make in my mind as to why knowing that um the demons wanted Sam, knowing that his kids weren't safe. Needing to feed that addiction is the only thing I can think that would have made it so he didn't stay with them constantly. There's a um I I've been reading often on the supernatural books that are related to the show that kind of like work in between um like oh, say yeah. cases or stuff. So yeah, there's one that I recently finished that actually does talk about it's got a couple different perspectives and it goes across decades. And one of them is from John's perspective, like the part of the story and spot on what you just said. He had the opportunity to stay with his boys at Bobby's for like a good couple of weeks after he finished up a case, but then he got lead on something else that might've been related, maybe, maybe broadly related to Mary, but he was about, well, I'm going to go take care of this. Even though Bobby was like, well, why don't you just spend some time with your kids? They really want to see you, talk to you, you know? And they were like, maybe I think Dean was nine and Sam would have been, what, five, I think at the time. So it's all of that, like you said, that um, that addiction of, no, I've got to go and do this. You know, this is one, like one more thing, one more time. I'm, I'm going to get that rush, that feeling, but it's just going to get just for a very brief period of time, right? Like it's not going to, it's not going to, heal stuff it's just going to if anything i think rip the band-aid off again and then you feel that after it's done you just have to keep replacing replacing that feeling with something else over and over again yeah the high the high never lasts does it yeah it never lasts but i just and i think that's what sam and dean were dealing with too i think they got addicted to that you know that became their mo too like Oh yeah, Dean's savior complex didn't come out yeah. of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Sam was maybe a little bit more, just a little bit more level-headed than that. Mm-hmm. But I think Dean fed that same addiction of, "I'm a good guy. I save people. I, you know." Or let's work I, the case. Come on, we don't we don't yeah. have any leads. Let's work the case. It's like you know that's what they always go back to again and again and again. Let's work this case. Let's save somebody. Yeah. Like that kind of thing. And um, then you kind of it kind of turns into and you. Obviously, we don't see it so much with John because we don't see so much of John. Mm-hmm. But it definitely turned into it with Sam, mm-hmm. uh, with Dean, sorry, that you start to think you're the only one that can fix this. Yeah. You're the only one who's got the knowledge, the skills, the whatever. Nobody else can do anything, only you. Or I'm the so one that's got to make the sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you burden yourself more and more and more. Mm-hmm. To the point where you like you try and cripple everyone around you. So nobody tries to do your thing. 
and yeah. you're still chasing that high. You're still feeding that addiction. So, yeah, we definitely see that with Dean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We didn't really see it with John, but we didn't see that much of John. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's that's still, that's the only reason that I can think. Because if someone said to me, hey, BT dubs, um, demon, child, I would be like, this child never leaves my sight again, ever. Yeah. And I yeah. would just, no. <laughs> I, I, me personally, I would have holed up somewhere and I would have learned every single fucking thing I could have learned on how to keep my kids safe. But I would have kept them in one spot and I would have warded the fuck out of it. You know, Bobby had a panic room. All right, maybe he didn't have a panic room when John was alive. But he had a panic room, you know, like, I would have done something like that. I would have been yeah. like, like a little fucking demon air raid shelter, you know? Yeah. But well, that's that, yeah, that's I, what I would have done. Yeah, and I think to counter, like, your thought, like, Miss Audubon goes second. John didn't leave the boys with others like Bobby or Pastor Jim for a long time because he was afraid that if they stayed too long in one place, the demons might find out and get them. And I believe that he knew or at least suspected they were after Sam. But he still kicked Sam out. Yeah. <laughs> out of pure temper. Sam was like, I quit. And he was like, you can't quit. I fired you. You fired. <laughs> like, no. So, yeah, mm-hmm. possibly. He kept them moving around. He didn't leave them with other people. Yeah. Um, maybe. But then be consistent, John. <laughs> yeah. Pick a lane, dude. But also, I think there would come a point, even, even Bobby, who loved Sam and Dean, to the ends of the earth would have had a word with John and been like, they are your children. You need to parent. Yeah. And you know, it would have been easier for John to go, okay, pack up. We're leaving. Then mm-hmm. to face that and yeah. stop chasing his addiction. And I think that happened a lot. Yeah. I yeah. think that he just, it was, it was better. He, I think John was more flight, right? Like that was how he dealt with things. Yeah. If he um, couldn't fight it, mm-hmm. he didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. Like you can fight monsters. You can't fight your friend going, Your kids fucking miss you, dickhead. Mm-hmm. You gotta we gotta run away from that one. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. Okay, so now we're in third, Dean as the caretaker slash parentification. Of course, leaving Dean in charge at such a young age was totally wrong. And of course, John was neglecting the boys. One might question how anyone could ever get the idea to do that. From my experience, this is my explanation for the situation. Believe me, I have actually seen such family dynamics in the real world. I believe that there are two reasons for this. First off, I believe John really literally couldn't take care of the kids after Mary's death. I believe he was really mentally too sick to do it. Maybe he was still able to provide a bit and go through some motions, like buy some food for his baby and four-year-old but I do not believe that he was able to really actually interact and relate to them in an adequate way. I believe given the story before, he was not only in shock, but in a clinical depression and severe PTSD. The thing with such mental illnesses is that people tend to say, get your shit together. You have kids to take care of. Look at the bright side. At least you're lucky that you did not lose your kids. But the thing with a clinical depression is, that these people truly cannot just control that. Am I going on, Carly? No, you, you can keep going for a little while. Okay. I, I have thoughts on this one. Okay. Those chemicals in the brain are so out of balance that they literally are not able to connect in a positive way with others. Sometimes they cannot even get out of bed. And it is not because they don't love their kids. It's also not that they don't feel like the worst parents in the world, but they really cannot do it. 
not without real treatment of the mental illness and support. Okay, and I, stop. Okay. Okay, stop. Okay. I'm going to be careful here because I don't want to yell. Okay. <laughs> and I want you to remember, Ms. Oliban, that nothing I am going to say is an attack on you. Just in case I get a little bit mad. It's mm-hmm. not an attack on you. Okay. It's not. This is your attack. fight. This is your fight. This is this is my fight. Mm-hmm. It's not even attack on your point of view. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's just I, this triggered me hugely, and mm-hmm. I was reading it last night. And the note on the Google Doc says, "Be careful addressing this. You need to rein your shit." <laughs> so, as someone who has clinical depression, and I have had clinical depression for a number of years now. And I have been medicated for a number of years, excluding the brief period of time where I was the landlord to my youngest child. Um, because you can't you can make some of the medication for depression and anxiety, but ideally they prefer you don't. Because mm-hmm. the best time to come off your meds is when you're flooded with hormones from growing a child. That has no bad impact at all it's mm. fine it was fine it was fine and my son was three weeks old and I had to check up with the doctor and she was like so how are things and I was like so when do I get my tablets back and she was like you can have them today and I was like thank fuck for that I'm insane <laughs> so a little bit of levity I have clinical depression like I said I've had it for a long time I also have children I see completely how those two things don't line up Okay. And you are 100% right. People say that garbage to you. Oh, just suck it up. You've, you've got, you know, think of the kids. You've got your kids to take care of. Oh, it's tragic that your wife burned to death on the ceiling. But at least your kids are here. And you just kind of want that person to die in a fire. And I get it. But the thing is, I've been so depressed that I could not get out of bed. Okay, and at the time, my husband worked, um, and he worked long, long shifts at the time, and it would just be me. And some of those times, it was just me with my oldest son, and some of those times, it was me and both of my children. And you can't just stay in bed. You can't. Those babies, they need to be fed. You know, you gotta, you gotta get up, and you gotta do the thing. And I will be the first to tell you I'm not a perfect parent. I've made mistakes. Anybody who says they haven't is a liar. Okay? But what I would do is I would I would force myself out of bed and I would feed my kids. And then maybe I would lay on the sofa for the rest of the fucking day. And I would only get up to feed them. And that would be it. The baby needs his nappy changing. I'll change his nappy. The kids need food. I'll feed them. But I won't move off that sofa unless I need to. Because I physically cannot make myself do. I cannot be a person. Mm -hmm. But if I don't do it, nobody else is going to. My husband isn't there. He can't keep taking days off work because I'm insane. So it has to be done. And that, that is just my experience. And I'll hold my hands up. My oldest kid missed a fair few days of school. Because I couldn't get my shit together enough to take him because it was a really long walk and I couldn't afford public transport at the time. You know? 
Mm-hmm. We never had a truant officer come round, but there was a meeting at school that it was like, hi, your child has missed quite a lot of ter- quite mm-hmm. a lot of time this term. And I was like, yeah, that's me. I'm fucking insane. And they were like, okay, is there anyone that can help with this? And I was like, nope, it's just me. And they were like, well, we really do need you to sort this out. And I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I moved things around and I put things in place and I reached out for help and it was fine. My problem with giving John that get out of jail free card, I think, is it doesn't ring true. Because if John was truly that unwell, he would not have been well enough to haul them around the country after hunts. You know? Mm-hmm. That's kind of... And yes, there's the addiction part of that, but... <sighs> It just they just don't marry up for me. Yes, I completely agree. He was he should he should not have been left in charge of those kids. He was very, very unwell. Shock, severe depression, PTSD, all things like that completely inhibit your ability to look after children. Uh-huh. And if all he'd done was the base level and he'd kept them in one place and he'd fed them and clothed them and sent them to school, and laid on the fucking sofa for the rest of the day, that would have been fine. If the only thing the kids had to complain about was, mm, dad was really absent when we were kids, that would have been fine. Like, it, it, could he have been a better parent? Yes, he could. Was he doing the best with what he had? Yes, he was. I don't think John was ever doing the best for the kids. Mm-hmm. That's my take on that and i definitely think you can say john was unwell john had ptsd john was clinically depressed but when you when you look back at the boy's kind of experience of their childhood that was never the kind of implication that they gave Mm -hmm. he was just absent he would dump them somewhere and go Mm -hmm. so i don't it that's choice Mm -hmm. you know yeah maybe that's maybe that also comes into play with like how his reaction was to like if you talk about fight or flight maybe that's just that was his reaction (laughs) to it with the depression so i don't know if it could have been I mean, he was god awful, but maybe that's just like maybe that response that he had to those things caused him to. That's how he reacted to it. So I don't know. I don't know. It's very complicated. It's a complicated situation. It yeah. it, abs- it absolutely is, and there's no one. There's no one size fits all. There's no one mm-hmm. explanation. I just. John's actions don't ring true to my experience Mm -hmm. of depression. And that's Mm -hmm. just my experience of depression and mental health. That's not the be all and end all of it. Mm -hmm. I can only look, you know, I can only come from my background, you know? Right, right. But from my experience, my my depression sucks every bit of will Mm. I have. So 
for me to be like, I'm so depressed I can't look after my kids, but by fuck I can scour the newspapers mm-hmm. to find cases and haul them all over the country and make them live in a car. Mm-hmm. That would be too hard. Yeah. For me. Yeah. But I have never been an addict and I have never dealt with addiction. So I don't know how that balances out. Right. You know? Yeah. If we, yeah, yeah, if we still take John chasing those hunts as feeding an addiction, Mm -hmm. maybe that need, maybe that addiction overrides usurped yeah yeah Yeah. definitely Mm -hmm. the the depressions need to lay on the sofa and cry yeah or not lay on the sofa and cry lay on the sofa and stare at the ceiling and think fuck i wish i was dead Mm -hmm. about 65 times an hour every Mm -hmm. hour consistently for the whole day um so yeah i don't know how how those things balance out Mm -hmm. but just for me i think going I think that's I think that's giving him too much of a, of a get out of jail free card. And we know? don't want to oh. do that. <laughs> no, fuck you, John. Fuck you, John. Oh, he was depressed, and he was. And the thing, the thing is, de- depression. It is a chemical imbalance in the brain, okay, but it will shake itself out one way or another. So for some people, unfortunately, it shakes it shakes itself out to a way where they take their own life. Mm. if it doesn't it goes either way you adjust you just adjust you go through the motions for long enough and you just adjust and you're numb and you don't want to do anything and given the choice you will lay down stare at the ceiling and think fuck I wish I was dead in my experience but you like the body cannot stay in a permanent I can't think of the word. The body wants to be in balance. Mm-hmm. It cannot stay. It cannot stay permanently high, and it cannot stay permanently low. It will adjust. Yeah. So if you go into a depressive episode for a little while, especially if it's not medicated, mm-hmm. for a little while, it will have control, and you will be unable to do anything. But the body will adjust. It will find the baseline, and it will go from there. And you are not you are still depressed and you are still struggling massively and every single little thing that goes wrong makes you go fuck i wish i was dead mm-hmm. again in my experience but you just you just keep going you know yeah and sometimes sometimes the chemicals will rebalance themselves out and you will come back up and it's fine and sometimes you stay there and like i said you know, people can be depressed and unmedicated for years and years and years. If you can handle it, if you know when those lows are coming and you know what you need to do to help yourself adjust, that's fine. I have friends that are would be 100% classified as clinically depressed that do not treat that depression at all, that just go with the waves, you know, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's fine and sometimes they want to die and sometimes it's fine and sometimes they want to die, you know? Mm-hmm. But I just, I just think it's too easy. You can recover from shock. PTSD is a whole different animal. That's a whole different thing, and you one hundred percent need actual medical. Trying to recover from PTSD on your own is like trying to walk off a compound fracture. 
it's not going to happen. There's bones sticking out of your leg. You're bleeding all over the place. This is not going to heal without medical intervention. Mm-hmm. So PTSD is a whole different animal. But for shock, your body will adjust to that. Depression, anxiety, your body will adjust. So I just think it's the get out of jail free card. Fuck you, John. You don't get one. No. <laughs> no get out of jail free cards for you. No. So, yeah, I feel like I handled that really well. I didn't yell. You did. You did. You did. So then in my mind, I mean, I think that a lot of what Ms. Audubon continues with is more about treatment, mental illness support, believing that John's treatment was alcohol um, and that the guilt was still there and it did not help. So more alcohol Mm -hmm. Um, and then treating it like alcohol being a drug changes the person. Um, children of addicted parents suffer terribly because even if the parent would be a, she's this quote unquote, nice person, normally the drug will bring out the worst and take away any inhibition that person might have about taking the internal anger and fear and depression out on the child. So this is my explanation of why John could not take care of them. So. um, Again, it's a perfectly reasonable argument. mm -hmm coming from my background, coming from my experiences, it's letting them off too lightly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there's nothing wrong with the argument and the explanation. It's just, no. Yeah. Agree. Um, not every child would have taken over the responsibility like Dean did. Now I think these are the reasons why Dean took over. I believe that Dean actually is extremely intelligent. His paternal ancestors were men of letters, smart scholars, and his maternal family hunters. You do not survive that without being smart. Dean is portrayed as a person that thinks he is not smart, or at least thinks he is not book smart. And true, he is very impulsive and does dumb decisions if he lets his emotions take over his brain. However, so many situations show that he actually is really smart. He understands situations really quickly. He's capable of doing research like real good detective work, even without Sam. He just doesn't enjoy it as much. And he can adjust really quickly to different situations when they were cases. I believe that actually both boys were specially gifted. Actually, I mm-hmm. believe that while he probably did not care about his own grades and schoolwork because he was taking care of Sam, he probably was the parent that made sure to promote Sam's development and his school career. I would not be surprised if he learned reading quickly to read all the books to him as a kid, did get bad grades himself, but at the same time knew all about Sam's schoolwork and helped him in school. He probably knew also how to manage money, how to count what he could still buy and what food they could afford and whatnot. Not getting caught by CPS or catching teachers' attention for being too bad in school. He avoided all that trouble for years, and it must have been really difficult with hunting with dad and parenting and having to put food on the table. He must have been very smart. 100%. Just stop right there. <laughs> stop right there. No, 100% agree. And I definitely think Dean would have prioritized Sammy's schooling over his own. 100%. Now, Sorry. made myself sad. Yes. Because now I'm like, oh, Dean. Again, though, mm-hmm. again, the end of that hunting with his dad and parenting and having to put food on the table. That was, again, a choice by John. Mm -hmm. He could have just left the kids alone. He'd been doing it for years, you know, Mm -hmm. and just let him be while he went off and did whatever he needed to do. But he didn't. As Dean got older, he started making him come with him. 
and making him leave Sam alone. Yeah. And again, that's a choice that mm-hmm. speaks to that speaks to more than an addiction. Not wanting the normalcy for the kid over um, you know, yeah. what, what do I need to accomplish in this situation and who do I need to have if you, with me? If you like if you liken it to a more traditional addiction of say let's say drugs for example an addict will move heaven earth and everything in between for their next fix that's all they're focused on okay and that does lead to neglect of children you know but there's no addict out there that's going taking their kid with them to help them take drugs Mm. you know Mm -hmm. there's no kid out there that's fucking putting a belt around their kid's arm and being like, no, no, we have to do the drugs together. No, we have to do it together. Like, no, that's not, that's a choice. That's not a desperate act in the in the grip of an addiction or survivor's guilt. Because why would, if it was survivor's guilt, why would you put, unless you were thinking, why? unless he's thinking Dean didn't deserve to make it out alive and he should die as, you know, penance for that. Mm-hmm. There's no reason in this reasoning that marries up with the choices that John made, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And now the thing with smart kids is that you always overestimate them. Or, well, maybe not really overestimate them because they do tend to step up to the task and actually succeed quite often. Anyhow, I believe that Dean was really smart and that he had a really big heart. And then the story also says he did not talk for a while after the death after the death of Mary, selected mutism. I could totally see myself telling my boy to get the baby out while I tried to save my husband, as long as I did not see fire or a monster on the way out. I hope I would not, but maybe under shock in such a situation, knowing my kids, even at such and such years old, was extremely protective and responsible for a sister and very capable. I agree with Carly's argument that the kids should come first. However, I can also see a parent in such a situation under shock, making sure the older kid has a little one grabbed tight and telling them to get out. Okay. Miss Audubon, from one parent to another parent, I will have to respectfully disagree with you there, babe. And everybody parents differently. And you know your kids the best of anybody. I know my kids the best of anybody. So nothing I'm about to say is an attack on you, is an attack on your parenting or your children or anything like that. However, I could not disagree with you more in this one <laughs> specific area, babe. And I'm so sorry. I I was reading your email last night and I was talking to my husband about it. I was telling Sandra about this just before we started um, recording. I was having a conversation with my husband and I gripped him by the wrist and I was like, I love you more than I have ever loved anybody apart from the children you are the love of my life I love the bones of you but if it was you are the kids <laughs> um you know if if we were in a situation where it was me or the kids and you saved me I would be so mad with you and he cut me off and he was like if it was you or the kids you'd die I'm sorry and I was telling Sandra and I said to him I was like that actually really hurt but that's what I wanted you to say um but that for me and again that's probably coming from my background but i would i would just my priority would always be to get my kids out okay and i think 
it's easy to think logically and think, oh, you know, I could I could ask the older one to take the little one out and it would be fine and then I would be free to go. But I think if you were ever in that kind of emergency situation, you'd probably find your actual response would be very different. Um, and it, it may well be <laughs> all grown-ups for themselves in that situation. Um, like, I was talking to my husband about this. Like, I I, I wrote down my feelings as well and I've just you know I'm I'm the adult I'm the adult in this in this situation so whatever the emergency is I will tell my oldest boy to hold on to his brother tight to keep them together but I will guide them out of the situation I will lift them carry them whatever needs to happen I will guide them out of the danger until they are safe, I would never ask them to do that alone. And my kids, they're fabulous. Every parent thinks their kids are fabulous. And I have no doubt if me and my husband were to be incapacitated in some way, my oldest boy would save his brother. I have mm-hmm. no doubt about that. I have no doubt in his ability to do that. But I just think for me, and this could be from my background of having to be very independent from a very young age. We've talked about this before. I would not want my children to feel that they had to sort themselves out. So that's just, mm-hmm. that's just my perspective there. And again, please, it's not an attack on you. It's not an attack on your parenting. It's just two people who have different views. That's it. Please. I don't want to make this. Uh, well, you're a terrible parent and blah, blah, blah. Cause it's not like that. Mm-hmm. You know, your children the best, you know, their strengths and their weaknesses the best as I know mine. And I know, if I were there and I said to my eldest boy, please take your brother and leave, he would freak the fuck out. He would mm. not be able to deal with that whatsoever. He's a sensitive boy. It's the nicest possible mm. way I can put that. He's sensitive and he would he would panic and he would freak out and he would need guidance. So I just wouldn't put him in that situation. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So that's just my my take on that and that's why i'm so angry about that situation <laughs> about john being like get sammy and get out like fucking no you take your children outside sir they- he's four and i think i think age comes into it as well because you're always looking at your children at the age that they are mm-hmm. so my my oldest boy is, is 10 my youngest boy is four could my 10 year old get his brother out of the house if he had to probably he'd completely freak but if it was literally get out of the house or die he could probably accomplish that he would not have been able to accomplish it at four and certainly not with a baby in his arms it just wouldn't have happened Mm -hmm. i'm so glad he's not in the house (laughs) he's not here today I'm so glad he would come. He would literally be like, "Mom, do you think I'm rubbish?" And I'd be like, "No, baby, I just think you shouldn't have to do these things on your own." Oh, and that's but what it comes four. down to again and again, right? Like that's what we keep talking about. Like they should not have been in these situations to begin with, or given that. So yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Ugh. So I believe that when Mary died, John himself was clinically depressed and not capable of taking care of the kids as he should have. And then he did not have a four-year-old whining and demanding attention in a noisy manner or acting out. The story says Dean had selected mutism, so he did not speak up at all. He was quiet and not at all demanding, actively attention to himself. His dad was not what he used to be. Mom was gone. 
I believe the only familiar thing was kind of Sam. And then Sam probably cried for his mom and babies that age cry if not taken care of. So I believe John was drunk and depressed and Dean probably just laid down in the bed with Sam to find some comfort. And when Sam fussed, he probably was smart enough to know what Sam needed and just started to take care of him. Yeah. And yeah, probably very accurate. And the more and more Dean took care of things, the more John saw how capable Dean was and the more he probably just left things to Dean. And then the more he understood about the demons being after Sam and about the monsters, the more he told him to take care and protect Sam and Dean understood. I also believe one problem is that Dean was such an overlooked and good soul that he did not complain and not tell John when it was too much. And John was too blind to see and did not have his wife to smack him. It doesn't make it right. (laughs) Stop that. So I think this would very much be a a boiling the frog kind of analogy, which apparently science has disproved. Mm. Um, But if if you're not familiar, it's if you put a frog in a pot of boiling water, it will hop out immediately. Whereas if you put a frog in um, a pot of cold water and slowly bring the temperature up the frog will sit there until it dies um as i say apparently it's been disproven I haven't looked into it but i have heard it's been disproven but dean wouldn't know that it was too much mm-hmm. because that's all he's ever known mm-hmm. you try think yourself an adult sandra can you remember being four i can't mm-hmm. you know yeah so that's that's all he's ever known Mm-hmm. You know, just look after Sammy, look after Sammy, look after right. Sammy. Yeah. And as Sam grows, those those expectations grow with Sam. Mm-hmm. But Dean would not have had the emotional maturity to say, this is too much. Can you look after your own fucking kid, John? Yeah. Yeah. So mad. <laughs> so, yeah, just, just drawing attention to that, that Dean probably wouldn't have known. And yeah. I don't think Dean ever knew when it was too much because his mindless look after Sam continued up until his episode that shall not be named. Yeah. It never, it never stopped. It never wavered. He never took a step back and was able to go. He's a grown ass man. He can probably be all right. You know, mm-hmm. ever at any point, you know, the end of season two, that's my job. Look after my pain in the ass little brother. Mm-hmm. Sam was a grown ass adult at that point. Yeah. But it never, yeah. So just, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Makes me sad. It doesn't make it right, but it's an explanation. By the way, as Jensen said at some con, that Dean would probably have prostituted himself to get money for Sam. For me, that is canon. I mean, what kind of jobs would a 14 year old get in a small town? Nobody would employ him. Or when John leaves them alone for a long time and there wasn't enough money because he thought he would be back earlier, how were they supposed to pay for the motel rooms? I would not be surprised if some sleazy motel owners took advantage of that. Agree. I'm sad. Yeah. And I'm I'm glad glad that we didn't imagine Mm -hmm. Jensen saying that because we were both like, ah, no, if I've just read too much fanfic or maybe this was actually a thing. Yeah. But isn't that fucking, that's just sad. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's all. That's just sad. Dean would never have told John, but still depression and mental illness are not. Such things are unforgivable. However, not unexplainable. I worked in a group home with kids that worked the streets because their drug addicted parents could not do it. And they still loved their parents and the parents loved them and had no idea 
what the kid did to get some food for the siblings. Sometimes people can be so messed up, it's just sad. So my interject here is um, I have no experience with with um, the, the foster system here in the UK, but there's quite a famous author here in the UK who writes um, about her experience as a, as a foster parent. And it seems to be that it's only in the most extreme cases of sexual abuse that children break the attachment to their parents. A child can be beaten black and blue and starved and they will still love and be loyal to their parent and be angry when they are taken from their parents' care and want to go back to their parent and, you know, try their best to keep their parents' secrets and things like that. So then that tracks through for Dean Mm -hmm. is that he still is loyal to John Mm -hmm. for a long time. He's still loyal to John at the back of the show. His greatest wish is to have his parents on the dinner table. Really? Mm-hmm. we've talked about that yeah um but that rings true for dean but then i think sam had dean as a parent mm-hmm. so he had more of a normal which is fucked up a normal parent relationship he knew what a parent was meant to be mm-hmm. so with that disconnect between him and john he can see john for who he is and see how abusive he is to dean mm-hmm. and call it out and that's why they butt heads yeah. you know and I mean, yeah, probably they are very similar. Like I said, we're not we're not taking the Winchesters into consideration here, but he's definitely studied early Sam. There's so many similarities between them, yeah. which is obviously, you're supposed to draw those parallels, aren't you? Mm-hmm. But I think it was, yeah, they probably were similar and they probably did butt heads because they were similar. And sometimes my kid speaks and I come out of his mouth and I'm like, why? stop that it's like arguing with a tiny version of myself but i do think a lot of it probably came as well from sam seeing what john was doing to dean and wanting to make it stop but being the youngest in the family having no power what could he do mm-hmm. yeah you know, and, and dean was never never gonna let john hurt sam he would have always stepped in and taken the punch yeah yeah so yeah that's that's that so um okay so that's my explanation for the parenting dynamics of john so i could understand if in the winchesters he was actually a nice and likable guy now as for mary (laughs) there is no effing explanation for my why she would not embrace her grown boys and want to spend every second with them to make up for lost time except for bad writing in the later seasons. There just isn't. What mother would not be sad for the years lost and really want to get to know their children, no matter how old, especially when they are still so adorable and kind-hearted as those two? I said it when we did the Mary episode, (laughs) and I will say it again. Mary Winchester was never meant to be a character or a mother. She was meant to be a stick to beat Dean over the head with. Mm -hmm. That was all she was. That was all she was when she was little. And then they brought her back mm-hmm. to beat Dean over the head with. And I think I think it's funny that not just us was like, that was shit writing. What the <laughs> fuck? They throw a dart or something? What the hell? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And then she wraps up with, I also would have loved to see another spin of or prequel. I would have wanted to see the childhood of Sam and Dean. 
dad dragging them from hotel to hotel, Bobby, Pastor Jim, school, hunting. There would have been great drama in that story. Still, I am bummed because in Germany, I cannot watch the Winchesters or Big Sky or even Triwalker because it's not out here. How frustrating. Well, I wish you both well. Thanks for keeping me entertained. I really miss Supernatural and hearing you two rant about it kind of soothes my soul. And take care, Miss Audubon. Thank you very much. Also, I will just say, not VPN, girl. Not VPN. Get a VPN. <laughs> get a VPN and get all that stuff. Uh, yeah, if you need, would... it may, maybe maybe we might have to email. <laughs> yeah. information. We'll, we'll we'll email her with information. So uh, we figured this has gone on for. Oh my gosh! Because yes, there's another one, and I'm just going to read, and I think we can comment back. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be some great stuff in the second one, and we I was, do I was we do truly gonna... appreciate it. Yeah, but I just like no matter Dean's best efforts, Sam grew up emotionally stunted purely from lack of family Mm -hmm. lack of interaction with anybody apart from his dad and his brother so he never never learned those lessons that most kids tend to learn um you know that other people have feelings (laughs) and opinions (laughs) and wants and needs and things and you know like kids learn that lesson and then they adapt and they become reasonable human beings well especially now when everything becomes it's all about sammy i mean he's he had to have taken that in somehow you know, yeah. like, because everything was about Sam, like, every, like, uh, when it wasn't about Mary, it was about Sam. Like, it's like, like, he was the second, like, after I think all of that, like, he was the one that was at the tier level, like, it was all about Sam. So, yeah. 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 So I just, you well, know, I'm so I, depressed I, now. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, t- I, to- I totally agree with you, though. He is. Oh, he's really selfish sometimes. So selfish. I equally could have put my hands around his neck and just been like, there are other people that exist other than you, you fucker. So I totally, I totally get that. But we will- He grows as that too. Yes, I think there's growth there for Sam, most definitely. I think when you look at that. I think, Mm -hmm. I think, I think like older Sam, I think you see that he takes, he takes on a different- um, role and it's not always necessarily about him. Um, mm. Yeah, I think there's that there. Um, but yeah, I guess we should wrap this one up because now I'm I'm just looking at the time and whoa, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, if you have thoughts on Miss Audubon's thoughts or our thoughts on Miss Audubon's <laughs> thoughts, reach out to us. Send us an email. We will always reply. And as it seems to be, if you send us an email and you're okay with it, we will discuss it in an episode as well. So mm-hmm. we will respond to you live, mm-hmm. as it were. Mm-hmm. Do not take my note making on this one as read. At that at, that doesn't happen usually. <laughs> Normally I just wing it. But I was reading through it yesterday and I was like, oh, I have things to say. Oh, no, I need to make notes about this. So, yeah, reach out to us. Let us know your thoughts. Sandra, where can they find us? They can find us um, at idlinginthepala at gmail.com. You can reach out to us on Twitter. It's idling in the letter D Impala. We have a Discord channel. Um, we've got, what else do we have, Carly? We've got a, a Kofi. We'll list all those links below in case you're interested. Um, but in Discord, we, um, we we really just want to see if people pop up in there. That would be really nice. Please, somebody yeah. pop up and say hi. Um, I'm trying our Discord, guys. Yeah. And then for reaching out to me 
on AO3, I am Drasna for my fan fiction. It's D-R-A-S-N-A. On Twitter, I am S Kyle Writes. It's S-K-Y-L-E-W-R-I-T-E-S. And if you want to read some of my original fiction, you can visit my website at sandrakyle.com. You should definitely do that because there's a new one coming out this yes, year. Yes, there is. Yes. So you should go and read the other ones. And then you can be like, oh, this shit, this is amazing. I can't wait for the new one. That's what I've done. It's like, it's not pre-ordered because it, there isn't anywhere for me to pre-order yet. it. But I do keep bugging her. I'm like, when is it happening? Can I, can, can I read now? And she goes, no, it's with the editor. And I'm like, but can I read now? Well, we're done. We're done with editing. So now it's just a matter of, I've got to get uh cover design i've got to get it formatted which i'm going to do and my plan is to start narrating cross fingers in about a week or so so that's going to take up a large portion of my november as we are now it's october 22nd at the time of this recording but yes thank you carly for plugging (laughs) where has 2020 gone 2022 gone guys i'm still reeling from 2020 and it's nearly 2023 what the fuck so yeah read sandra's original stuff because she's got a new book coming out mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to look me up you can find me on ao3 and twitter under the username carly karma and that's k-a-r-l-e-e and then karma as you spell it normally it's the same profile picture in both places in case you think i wonder if there's more than one person out there with a weird spelt name if it's the same profile picture it's probably me. So I don't have any original fiction to plug because that would involve characters and plot. And I'm not great at any of those, but not I do true. have a lot of porn on AO3. Uh, so come not read. True. Not true, but not true. Well, I can't like invent characters like you can. I just uh, nick other people's characters. You don't know until you try. It's always a possibility. Don't ever, don't, never say never. Never, never say, say never. never. Never say never. But as it stands at the moment, come read my porn on AO3. <laughs> so we would like to say it's really good porn (laughs) it is good porn i'm not even going to be modest about that it is good porn so for now we will say thank you very much for joining us in the back seat and we will see you next time bye guys Bye bye